Welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team here at Blackhawk. So good uh, to see all of you here with me uh, today. Yeah, this is the last in our 10-part series uh, through the book of Philippians. So uh, my job is to kind of close out the series. Uh, we started the series on September the 24th when Pastor uh, Matt, our senior pastor, when uh, he opened the series up. And do you remember how he kind of opened the series up? He read through the entire book of Philippians. It takes about 15 minutes to read through the book. Actually, that'd be a good thing for you to do uh, either today or tomorrow. It only takes about 15 minutes. And uh, you'll probably see as you read through it again that, yeah, you've probably learned a few things over the last 10 weeks. Well, at least that's our hope that you learned a few things. Matt also did something else on September the 24th. He challenged the whole church to memorize the prayer found in chapter one. Do you guys remember your assignment? Here's your assignment right here. So let's all say this at all venues and all sites. If you're online, say this with us. Here we go. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and the praise of God. All right, look at it, because I'm going to challenge you right now. Okay, you got it? Okay, take that down. Ready? And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and the praise of God. It sounded like I might have been the only one there at the end <laughs> that was saying that. Let's look at it again. Look at it again. Look, look, look. I'm going to make you do it one more time. Here we go. Look, 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 look. Take it down. And this is my prayer, that your love should abound more and more so that you may be able to discern what is best and blameless, filled with the fruit of... Not good, you guys. <laughs> Not good. Not good. Hey, welcome to Blackhawk Church. We're a university community church. We actually give homework here. Uh, in Madison. So that's your homework and maybe not so much. Some of you, okay. So listen, I, uh, for extra credit, keep working on it. Uh, here's a QR code and you can scan that. Many of you took uh, those cards. You can put that on your phone and you can work on it. Hey, here's a hint. Uh, if the message gets boring, uh, go ahead and work on it during the talk. <laughs> really. Uh, and I'm going to put that prayer back up towards the end of the message. And so now you get to work on it. You got like 20 minutes to work on that. So go ahead and do that. Hey, today's talk is about the theology of generosity, the theology of generosity, the theology of, of giving from a heart that has expanded. The reason I'm giving this talk is not because it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving, 
I'm not giving this talk because uh, we're coming into the month of December when it seems like everybody's talking about giving and giving and giving. I'm not doing this talk because we're trying to challenge you to give more and more to the Advent conspiracy or to our general fund budget. I'm not doing this talk because of those things. I'm talking today about the theology of generosity because my job is to close out the book. And that's exactly what Paul does as he finishes his letter to the Philippians. So take your Bibles and turn to the last chapter, Philippians 4, and we'll see that Paul is thankful, not because of what has come from them, but what their gift actually did for them. But before we actually look at the text, because I know uh, this is a weekend where many people travel, and some people may have traveled here and you've not been to any of this series at all, let me kind of do a little summary of what's happening uh, in the book. Take a look at this map. So Paul actually is writing uh, this letter to people in Philippi, hence it's called the Philippians. He's writing this letter from Rome, and scholars believe it's around 62 AD. He's known the people in Philippi for about 40 years or so. And he's been to Philippi many different times. It's one of his favorite places. When he finds himself in, in Rome in a jail or prison, people from Philippi realize that. And they send him some gifts in an entourage. And the leader of that entourage is a person named Epaphroditus. They travel, if they traveled by land, that's like 800 miles from Philippi uh, to Rome. It would be like walking from here to Atlanta, Georgia. When they get there, Epaphroditus is really sick. He's the leader of the group, and he almost dies. And then he gets better, and then Paul rejoices that he's better, and so he writes a letter, gives it to Epaphroditus, and then Epaphroditus takes it all the way back to Philippi, and that's the letter that you have in your laps right now or on your devices. And at the last part of this letter, he is thanking them. He's rejoicing. He's overcome with joy because of the gifts that he received from them. Not because of the gifts that they sent, more because of what those gifts actually showed him what was happening in their hearts. So now let's read chapter 4, verse 10 and following. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. 
For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Man, it's a great passage. (laughs) This passage is filled with some really deep theology. I'm just going to be able to skim the surface of this passage. It's a great passage to read, but it's even more difficult to preach. It's a difficult passage to preach. And there's at least two reasons for that. One of the reasons has to do with me, and another reason has to do with you. So let's start with me first. I get paid to be up here. I'm a paid employee. I'm going to talk to you about giving. Where do you think the money for my salary comes from? Yeah, that's called a conflict of interest. See what I'm saying? There's no shortage of horror stories about pastors who have twisted uh, the words of the Bible so that it would increase uh, giving, so that it would benefit them. You guys follow me? That's what makes a passage like this difficult to preach. From my perspective, what is my motive here? There's a conflict of interest. I grew up in a church uh, years and years ago where the pastor uh, was caught uh, cheating uh, financially. He was kind of uh, doing some funny business with the books. The person that caught that pastor was my dad. My dad was the chairman of the board of trustees. He was really proud of that position. And he caught the pastor who was kind of stealing from the church. He confronted that pastor. And, of course, the pastor uh, denied it and got my dad in a lot of trouble. We left that church, and it soured my dad's attitude towards preachers the rest of his uh, life. He thought uh, preachers were basically over-educated crooks, basically. So you can imagine my dad's happiness when I told him that I was actually going into the ministry. (laughs) My dad uh, used to say, I'd I'd rather be held up by uh, somebody with a gun than listen to a slick pastor who preaches about money. At least the guy with the gun, you know what the situation is. With the guy with the microphone, you don't realize what's happening until it's too late. So if you come from a background where uh, 
the people who stood up here with God's word twisted it and were not, not, not fair with the word of God and, and manipulated the word of God uh, to get into your pocketbook. I, I, I totally understand where you come from. I came from that kind of place too. I get it. I was thinking as I was uh, in leadership in churches that I'd always wonder what my dad would think if he came to church. My dad died in 1991. You might like to know that we have an outside CPA firm that actually checks to make sure that nobody's doing anything funny with the books uh, here. But if you've gone through a difficult time with another church, all I'm saying is that I totally understand where you're coming from. That's the first reason a passage like this is difficult. You're always wondering, isn't there a conflict of interest here? And yes, there is. The second reason it's difficult is because of what's going on in you. Because I'm going to talk about giving, and you may equate that with, uh, he's trying to get us to give more funds uh, to help the general fund or Advent conspiracy or something like that. That's in the back of your mind. What you're going to hear is this is about fundraising, even though I'm going to tell you it's not about fundraising at all. There's a difference between raising funds and the theology of generosity. They can overlap, but there's a difference. Here's how you raise money. You demonstrate that there's some kind of a need. Somebody needs to be clothed. Somebody needs to be fed. There's been a fire in Maui that wiped out a town. You demonstrate there's a need. And then you convince the people you're talking to, you actually have the resources to meet that need. And then you challenge them to meet the need. That's how you raise funds. I've done it before. There's nothing wrong with it. Nothing at all wrong with it. My wife and I uh, give money to Advent Conspiracy to the budget here. There's nothing wrong with fundraising. But that's not what this passage is about. This passage is not about Paul raising funds to meet a need. Because he says in the text, I don't have a need. <laughs> and that's essential in fundraising. He's not writing to get more money from them. He's overjoyed with what giving has done to them and their hearts. So that you might hear, I think he's trying to raise funds. That's a problem. That's not what the text is about at all. Did you see what Paul said in the very beginning? I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. You see that? For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have to plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he's saying in this passage is that he says, I know what it is to be in need. Paul has been shipwrecked. He has been homeless. He's, he's like, where's my next meal coming from? He gets it. He wanted to have churches support him, and nobody was supporting him. So he understands what it is to be in need. And he also says, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. He's not trying to raise money here, you guys. He's learned the secret. What's the secret? 
Here's the secret. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He's ambiguous about who the him is. It's Yahweh, it's God, it's Jesus Christ. But no matter, no matter what the situation, he's saying my contentment doesn't depend upon my circumstances, where I'm at, or whether you give me money or not. I'm okay either way because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So here's like the principle of contentment. It would be like this. Contentment doesn't come from our stuff or our circumstances. It comes from God. You know, as we're going into the Christmas season, it's probably a good thing to read out loud, don't you think? Let's all read this together. Reading together, contentment doesn't come from our stuff or our circumstances. It comes from God. That sounds like something somebody would make you say in a church, doesn't it? <laughs> it has a church world ring to it. It doesn't have a real world ring to it. People, uh, sociologists tell us that 30% of uh, single parents struggle to uh, feed their children. We have a lot of single parents in our church. There are people uh, who are listening to me right now and watching me online who are struggling financially. And it's hard to read a statement like that because we don't have a job. The vehicle that we're depending on broke down. We'd like to join the rest of our friends and get gifts for our friends and children, but we can't. We can't afford it. So it's easy to say that you're content without stuff if you've got a lot of stuff, but we don't have much stuff. So let's kind of break this down. Who's saying that contentment doesn't depend on stuff or circumstances? It's the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was a super spiritual guy. Really spiritual, very mature. Remember, uh, several weeks ago, uh, Pastor Charles highlighted uh, this passage. This is what Paul says in chapter 3. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. This is a mature Christ follower who's gone through all kinds of different things, all kinds of sufferings, and he's saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is someone, this is an athlete who is trained and trained and trained and trained. He's very mature. That's why you can say that. I'm not where he is. I don't know very many people where he is. He's way down the road. He's very mature. And so he can make the statement, yeah, contentment has nothing to do with circumstances. Doesn't matter if I'm dying with cancer. Doesn't matter if I've lost my job. Doesn't matter if I have nothing. My contentment does not, it's not affected by that. Because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's a statement of a mature Christ follower. 
Another thing uh, that Paul has got on some of us is that he is, uh, he's older. <laughs> he's aged. And, um, well, I'm the oldest person on the teaching team. Have you noticed that? And uh, you learn a few things as you grow older. Right before I got married in 1978, I could put all of my possessions in this thing right here. That's a 1969 Volkswagen Beetle. And they, we took this photo uh, off the internet. My Beetle didn't look uh, that nice. It was beat up in blue, mine was. But I could put all, everything I owned, I could put in that. And then I got married. And uh, she had a car, a kind of a beat-up red car, and she put everything she owned in that, and then we combine our two cars and put in an apartment, and we start collecting stuff. And then we move from one apartment to another, another apartment, and then we just start collecting. And then we get kids. And then you start collecting more and more, and then you move into a house, and you collect more and more and more. And so we've been married for about 45 years, and we've collected quite a bit of stuff. And now most of that stuff is in our basement. And uh, our kids don't want it. And someday, um, you know, if we're like a normal couple, uh, one of us will die before the other. That's n normally what happens. And then the one who survives will be left with all that stuff. And they'll probably say, well, I'm going to downsize. And then if you're like our, my mom... She, she was 69 when my dad died, 91. She lived another 23 years. In those 23 years, she just started unloading stuff. And because of her health, she ended up in a, a facility that could take care of her. Maybe one of us will be like that. My mom, uh, when she died, all of her stuff could fit in the one little uh, room. After she died, my Sister came in three or four boxes and boxed it all up, put it in a car about the size of that Volkswagen. It's funny, most of that stuff was pictures. And now, actually, uh, you can digitize pictures and, and put them in a cloud so you don't actually have anything at all to grab onto. If you're living your life you're in your 20s and 30s, and you think that contentment comes from all the stuff you're going to accumulate. Good luck with that philosophy. If you're in your 50s or 60s or 70s, and you have lived your life on that philosophy, how's that working for you? You'll see that people who follow you, they don't actually want that stuff. He'll be gone and he'll basically give it away. Contentment, true contentment, should not come from our circumstances or our stuff. It should come from God. So, so why is Paul rejoicing? Why is he rejoicing? Well, Three things that I think he's rejoicing for. They share a unique partnership, he and the Philippians. We read 
Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Here's a map of Philippi and Thessalonica. This is a road that's called Via Ignatia. If you uh, went on a tour over there, you could actually walk on this road. This is like a super highway. And they went back and forth, back and forth when he was in Thessalonica, and they gave him stuff over and over again, and that enriched their partnership. When, uh, when we started the book of Philippians, one of the very first things you see in the book of Philippians is Paul talking about this rich partnership they had. Chapter one, we read this. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This is a love letter, you guys. <laughs> And he has grown to love them over the years, and they love him. And he's rejoicing because their partnership has just been enriched because they gave him these gifts. Why else is he rejoicing? They will receive more fruit. Chapter 4, we read this. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. So the white letters are what's in the uh, 2011 NIV. I've added the yellow letters, which are Koine Greek. It's karpos. But uh, karpos is not really translated by the 2011 NIV people and You know, I think it's not the best translation. And I shouldn't say that because I know people on translation committee. Other translations um, put it like this. Here's some others. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit. And here, uh, this carpos is translated. That abounds to your account. New King James Version. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek uh, for the profit and, and Carpos, which increases your account. So there's a mixing of a metaphors because he's talking from like the banking world and he's also taking from the agricultural world. So they mix the metaphors there. It is not that I just want to receive gifts. Rather, I want to see profit. This is a business word and it's carpos again, added to your account. Carpos is fruit. And what he's saying is that when you gave to me, it demonstrated to me that the fruit was coming from you, bubbling over, and this is going to be added to your account. Can anyone think of a passage in the first part of the letter that he actually refers to fruit? Yeah, that's the prayer you guys were supposed to memorize. Hello? Let's look back at the prayer you're supposed to memorize. There's the word, karpos, right there. Let's say it again. Here you go, third time. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and a depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ 
to the glory and the praise of God. See, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, that our partnership would increase. See, see what he's doing here. This is the way he sets the letter up. And he comes back and he finishes that same way. By giving, they are demonstrating that their fruit, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ is abounding. And he loves that. And he wants to credit that to their account. Why else? Is he rejoicing? They are giving to God. They got a physical gift that they're giving. And it's actually a gift uh, to God. Watch this. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Stop, 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 stop. It's interesting that nowhere in the letter do we actually know what these gifts are. It's probably money, food, clothing. You know, the Roman prison system, like, didn't provide those things. But we're never told what they are. But there's some physical gift that the entourage brought over from Philippi. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Generosity always leads to doxology. The fragrant offering. It's a, it's a free. So they're giving him something, but it's really an offering to God. So this physical gift that they're giving is really a spiritual transaction. Do you see what I'm saying? You see what's happening here? So it's a spiritual transaction. My God will meet all of your needs, all of our physical needs. That's not the context here. No, my God will meet all of your needs, all of your spiritual needs, so that you will be able to say, if you're banking on Christ, that I can go through any situation at all because of the riches from God to me and what Christ is doing in my life. Generosity is about spiritual transformation. It's not about money. It's about something much, much deeper. It's about our hearts expanding and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The person who knew more about generosity than anybody else was who, you think? Well, come on, guys. Jesus. Whenever somebody asks a question, just answer Jesus. That's probably going to be right in a church. It's Jesus. Jesus had a saying that he repeated all the time. But it's interesting because it's, it's not found in the Gospels. It's only recorded in the book of Acts in chapter 20, verse 35. You've probably heard it before. Read this together with me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. How many of you heard that verse before? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. It's more blessed to give than receive. It's a fantastic verse. The verse makes it clear that generosity is a paradox. It's a paradox. That is, when I release something and give to you, you receive it, but actually, I'm better off than you, even though it's come from me. You see that? It's a paradox. 
When I give you something, you receive it. Oh, you should be better off. No, 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 no. I'm more blessed than you are. That's generosity. It's a paradox. How are you guys doing with that? It has nothing to do with money. It's about our hearts. Yeah, money can overlap with generosity, sure. But it's basically about our hearts. Let me show you a couple of photos that make this clear. This is my granddaughter, Sienna. She's two years old, a little over two. And uh, you can see that smile on her face. That smile on her face is because grandpa has given her some M&Ms. I don't care what time of the day it is, where you are, if you give her M&Ms, this little girl is going to smile because she loves M&Ms and her mother gave me permission to give her M&Ms. <laughs> she has received M&Ms and she is very happy. Now look at this picture. Who's more blessed in that picture? Yes. Every grandparent, every parent understands the truth of the paradox. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. She's blessed totally, but I'm much more blessed because I have given. What picture do you think is my screensaver? Because generosity is about the expansion of our hearts giving things that goes with that, but primarily it's about our hearts. And the movies we see in December repeat this theme over and over and over again. The Grinch is basically about the theology of generosity. The Christmas Carol is basically about the generosity that happens inside of our hearts. When you're generous, your heart expands and grows and grows and grows, whether you're the Grinch or, or whether you're Ebenezer Scrooge. As you give from a heart that is generous, your heart expands. So stop hoarding your stuff, grow your heart, and give, give, give. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we learned from you. For you so loved the world that you gave your one and only son. Your love for us, your generosity is displayed in so many ways. Every good gift we have, we have received from you. The air we breathe, the world we inhabit, the trees we see, the snow that comes down, all these great gifts are from you because you're so loving and kind and generous. We pray, Father, as your followers, that we be like our daddy, and that we would open our hearts and give and give and give and give. And we pray as we give, we would do it from hearts that are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ and that you would receive all the glory and praise.
We pray this in Jesus' name and for the sake of his reputation. All God's people said.